0: This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. And I wanted to kind of close out the year talking about the most wonderful time of the year. Anybody know that song? Yeah, sure you can sing it. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Yeah, great. Okay, that's enough. Um... Guys, uh, how, many of you, how many of you love Christmas? As we get older, it's not quite the same as it was when we were a kid, but how many of you guys, I, it's all right if you admit it, you get a little excited when you hear 104.5 The River start playing a Christmas song. You go, oh, it's that time of year. Of course, now it's like Halloween when that starts, so it's kind of weird, a little, little awkward nod. But, uh, but guys, Christmas time, What a, what great memories. And you know, some of us don't have such great memories. Some of us, we have some tough memories as a result. Um, But it is certainly a, um, a special time of the year. And so today I'm going to start a short series called The Journey of Christmas, and this will be for three weeks. we got today, we got next week, we're going to talk about lessons from Christmas. And then uh, week three, the next week, two weeks from today, will be our family Christmas service. It'll be a shortened service. Our kids will be in here with us. We'll have a family service together, planned for us to take communion and and, uh, and read the Christmas story to the kids. It's going to be a lot of fun, so you guys uh, make sure to come out for that. But how many of you would say that you've lived a lot of Christmases now? And you know all there is to know about Christmas. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see about that. Today's going to be kind of different. Recently, I have heard people talking about Christmas, and I've heard some Christians say, well, that's just a pagan holiday anyway, and Christians don't don't need to be celebrating that. (laughs) Boo everybody say bah humbug <laughs> bah humbug but guys there is some basis in what they're saying and I thought you know how many of you know that we need to know things we need to have knowledge of things I remember I remember years ago I remember we had a few parents get upset at Sean and I because for the youth group we spent a month on Wednesday nights on our, during Wednesday night like small group time we talked about other world religions And we had one parent specifically said, I didn't teach my, I don't send my kid to church to learn about Islam. Well, would you rather them learn about it from somebody in the church? Or would you rather them learn about it from somebody out in the world who's trying to convert them or whatever it may be? We need to know about the world. We need to know about history. We need to know about the past. And so what do you say when especially other believers say to you, well, Christmas, well, Easter is just a pagan holiday. I know of Christians that don't celebrate Christmas and don't celebrate Easter. And I want you to, I want to say this for a second. Actually, let me just jump to the end of the message for a second. We have Christmas trees up here. We sang a Christmas song this morning. So obviously as a church, we celebrate Easter. I'm sorry. What time of year is it? What's the most wonderful time of year? I don't know. We obviously celebrate Christmas. Our pastors celebrate Christmas. And uh, the last thing I want to happen is for somebody to feel like I'm trying to make you feel bad is when it comes to your convictions, and it's not that at all. Um, If you have a conviction that you shouldn't celebrate Christmas, then by all means, don't do it. Don't do it. Amen? Likewise, if you do celebrate Christmas, awesome, but don't make the others feel bad as a result. Don't try to defend your position and make them feel, feel like, they're, you know, well, like their position or their conviction is nonsense. So where did Christmas originate? And I want to talk about that. And so today is not going to be a normal sermon as usual. How many of you have noticed, I hope you can make it without sermon notes this morning in your service guide. Some of you, you're just, you've already got the pen in your hand. Where are my sermon notes? And, no sermon notes this morning, because this is going to be much more of a history lesson than it is a normal sermon. And guys, I don't want this to be, I don't want this to be a downer at all. This is, as we celebrate, one of the most wonderful times of the year. Um, so I want you to hear my heart in this. I want you to look at the history, and then I want us to talk about what that means to us today. So... Many, actually, historians believe that the holiday that's celebrated around December 25th, around that time, at the end of December, actually was celebrated well before Christianity ever existed. Do You guys know that? Well before. And we know that much of what we know about the holiday today um, comes from around the time of Christ and a little bit later from, uh, from Scandinavia. So people say it was a pagan holiday. Yes, it absolutely was a pagan holiday. And some of you wonder, what does the word pagan mean? Well, from a biblical context, the word pagan means an unconverted member of a people group or nation that does not acknowledge God, that does not acknowledge the one true God. Okay, does that make sense? So anything that does not acknowledge the one true God would be considered pagan. So this was a pagan holiday. So in Scandinavia, this time in late December, this was the winter solstice. Anybody know what the winter solstice is? It's the winter solstice. This is marking the end. It's basically marking the end of winter. And during this time of year, the sun, um, the, the daylight was the shortest of any other time of year. And the darkness was longer than any other time of year. So the days were very short. The nights were very long. And this was a time that they celebrated, they actually celebrated the darkness and the light during this time. So it was celebrated differently in different areas of the world in that region. But um, we know in Scandinavia and some different areas, they celebrated, they worshipped the god Mithra. This was the sun god. And actually, I have a, I have a picture um, of, a, of a carving that has been found of Mithra, the sun god. They also celebrated and, and worshiped Yule, who was the God of sex and fertility. How many of you have heard of Yule? Well, I know you've heard of Yuletide carols, Yuletide greetings, the Yule log, all these different things. And so Yule was a God that was worshiped, the God of sex and fertility. You can go ahead and, yeah. So there were 12 days of Yule. The celebration was called Yule in this area we're talking about in, in Scandinavia. There were 12 days of Yule in this celebration. They would celebrate the sun returning. The sun was coming back soon and bringing back daylight. And so Yule being the God of sex and fertility, um, was celebrating the return of reproduction and agriculture and and all these different things that would come as a result. So during these 12 days there was a Yule log that was kept burning and it was kept burning for 12 days and it was considered a phallic idol. Do I need to explain that to anyone? It was worshiping the God of sex and fertility and it was a big long log. Okay. I'm leaving it there right there. Okay. This is what it was considered. It was considered a phallic idol. It was burned for 12 days. And during these twelve days, they would try to make contact with spirits. And on each of the twelve days, there was a sacrifice. Many times, it was a human sacrifice. In other areas of the world, it was a celebration known as Saturnalia, and it was the worship of the god Saturn, who was the god of wealth and agriculture. Because again, they're worshiping winter; they're celebrating winter coming to an end. Does that make sense? So, in Rome, it was believed that the god Atlas, the goddess Diana, and it was actually even believed the god Baal was born during the winter solstice. So, this was a sacred holiday to them. They also believed that Mithra, who we just talked about, the sun god, that he was born on December the 25th. Is this making a little more sense? So... This is a month-long, actually, during a period of time before this was ever like a sanctioned Roman holiday, there was a month-long celebration in the Roman Empire, and in Rome specifically, they would celebrate for an entire month. They would celebrate the winter solstice. They would celebrate these gods. And it was known as a very hedonistic time. It was known as a time when food and drink were very plentiful. Now, by this time of year, the end of winter, most of their... um, most of their drinks were fermented by now. So in these areas of the world, they had wine, they had beer, these things were fermented and ready to be used for the celebration. Um, They also still had the remainder of their crops from the year that were still left. So there was plenty to drink, there was plenty to eat, and normal order was turned upside down. Now this is something that I had never heard before. For a month in Rome and in the Roman Empire, slaves would become masters. Peasants were in command of the city. Businesses and schools were closed so that everybody could join in in the celebration. As I confirmed this, I, I read this and went to reading and looked it up and, and, and found a, another article on the History Channel that, that confirmed some of these things. The courts in Rome were closed during this month-long celebration. Because the courts were closed, all and any crimes were permitted. All and any crimes were allowed. As a matter of fact, one of these articles that I was reading from, it was either the History or Discovery Channel, was talking about how even children were allowed to be involved in drunken orgies during this time. Pretty hedonistic. So in 270 AD, this celebration was so huge, in 270 AD the Roman emperor changed things and he made this an official Roman holiday, and it was for seven days, a seven-day holiday from December the 17th to December the 24th, they would celebrate, and on December 25th, they would um, exchange gifts to celebrate the birth of Mithra, um, the sun god. So when the Romans, when they invaded Europe, specifically Britain, they took these traditions with them, right? And they were accepted by the people. So you got the Roman empire that's invaded Europe, but by the fourth century, guess what had invaded the Roman empire? Christianity. The Roman Catholic church was going full steam. The church of Rome was ruling and they realized they had a big issue on their hands when it came to all these pagan holidays, specifically the winter solstice. And so they felt like they needed to get this under control. So what they end up doing is adopting these holidays into the church and they gave them new names and created new traditions. And they believed that what would happen is that this would help convert pagans to Christianity. Kind of makes sense. So in many ways kind of became an outreach of sorts. They take all these pagan holidays, give them new Christian names, new Christian traditions and say, yay, yes, let's celebrate. So we know that up until this date and even biblically, there had never been a celebration of Jesus's birth that we ever know of. Actually, we don't really see that birthdays were a huge deal in, uh, in, in Scripture. And Jesus, I mean, they, I imagine they more celebrated his life and his death and his resurrection um, so I don't know that his birth was anything that was ever really, uh, really considered at that time, and it's generally agreed upon based in scripture that Jesus wasn't born in uh, born in December. Nevertheless, the church decided to make the holiday this holiday based on the birth, not on the birth of Mithra, but on the birth of Jesus. So shortly after this, the church orders this; they make this happen. The Pope ordered that all pagan holidays be integrated into the church and be given new Christian traditions instead in hopes to squash all this uh, hedonistic drunken activity that was going on during these times. So, uh, so they decide to have this big mass on, uh, on December 25th. Instead of worshiping Mithra, the sun god, they would celebrate the birth of Jesus and this mass became known as Christ Mass, which is where we get the word Christmas. Every December 25th, they would have Christ Mass. The problem is that for the next 14 to 1500 years, many of the pagan traditions remained anyway. Didn't matter what the church did. Um, we know from, uh, from history that these, uh, these drunken mass orgies and things that would take place were happening, they were happening up through the 1600s. Um, it got so bad that the church itself said, forget all this, and they, they outlawed Christ Mass. The church outlawed Christ Mass because it was so bad. When the Puritans arrived in the new world, they did it right from the get-go. They said, we're not having Christ mass here in this new world. And they outlawed all other pagan originated holidays from, from the new world. Unfortunately for them, the pagan traditions remained and continued on. I don't know if you know this, this was a surprise to me. In New York in 1828, the drunken celebration around Christmas was so out of hand, they ended up appointing a dedicated police force. In 1828, guys, less than 200 years ago, Christmas wasn't even an official holiday. Much of the church during that time decided that they were not celebrating Christmas. They Christ mass that was still kind of outlawed and everything else by the mid 1800s, it was the American Sunday school association. They tried something revolutionary. They tried something that was very controversial. They began creating Christmas programs for young children in an attempt to fill the pews again, another outreach program. So they start doing these Christmas programs, and what they did was they taught children about the birth of Jesus by trying to do reenactments of the nativity, which we still see, we still have today. I saw that Germantown, uh, Germantown Baptist is doing their annual thing. We saw that a couple of years ago. I encourage you guys to go and see their reenactment of the nativity. It's really pretty awesome. But, so they would, they would teach the kids the reenactments of the nativity about the birth of Jesus, and guess what else they did? They gave away candy and treats to try to draw more kids and the use of candy to attract children was so successful that they decided to begin using candy to attract more kids on other celebrations like All Hallows' Eve, which we now know today as Halloween. So Christmas still wasn't really being celebrated, but this American Sunday School Association started seeing seeing this happen, started seeing some success in this. And Christmas really wasn't an official holiday until a little later on, it was the success of a book, a book called The Christmas Carol in 1843. How many of you love A Christmas Carol? In 1843, Charles Dickens publishes this book, and Christmas was finally cemented as a worldwide holiday because of the success of that book. And what they found was, looking into this, A Christmas carol gave this new view of Christmas. Everybody thought of Christmas as this drunken drunken holiday. It gives a new view in it. It gives this view of being a time of love and joy and family and gift giving and food and lights and trees. And this was appealing to people when they read it in a Christmas carol, just like it's appealing to most of us today. And this is what Christmas became as in regards to the celebration that we see today. And so that was in 1843 that that book was published and it obviously resurged every year around Christmas time. People would read a Christmas carol and the book would resurge. And it was actually 24 years later in 1843 that um, I'm sorry, in 1867, that Charles Dickens did a worldwide tour. 24 years later, he does a worldwide tour promoting his book. And he packed out U.S. theaters where he would read the story to cheering crowds. And it further cemented Christmas as a holiday. By 1875, the Puritans, their attempts to kind of squash Christmas, man, that was all over with. And by 1890, all of the United States had voted to make Christmas the legal holiday that we celebrate today. Yay. Yes. (laughs) I'm on. Let's have a big breath. Yay. Woo. Hallelujah. So guys, Just a few more things about Christmas. The 12 days of Christmas, it was originally the 12 days of Yule, where they would sacrifice many times human beings on a Yule log. During the 12 days, pagan worshipers would burn a lamp in their window to identify themselves as worshipers of Yule, and that's much of where we get the the, the lights, Christmas lights, and things like that. Tradition of the Yule log was brought to the U.S. by Scandinavian immigrants in the 1800s. Uh, Many attempted uh, right from the get-go. When the Scandinavian immigrants came and brought the Yule log tradition with them, many tried to ban the Yule log right from the get-go. They tried to outlaw it, Uh, but it continued on anyhow. Yuletide greetings was invoking fertility power of the God of Yule upon a person being greeted. Anybody need to say a bah humbug? (laughs) Hanging holly and mistletoe and other greenery. This was considered a way of warding off evil spirits. This is where we get the term, the phrase, deck the halls with boughs of holly. Evergreen trees in history, you'll find, if you go back and look at it, always symbolize sex and fertility in pagan cultures. In the Middle Ages, these trees would be brought in, they would be cut down, and they'd be brought into the house, and they would be decorated for worship. Some Wiccans and Druids still worship in this manner today. Uh, The custom of Christmas trees, as we know, it generally comes, they generally agree that it comes from Europe, uh, I'm sorry, from Germany, and it spread across Europe from there. And uh, and actually, in 1848, a picture was published of Queen Victoria and her family with a decorated Christmas tree. And within a year or two, every British home had a Christmas tree. And it obviously spread to the New World. And we know the uh, German immigrants were kind of credited with bringing the tradition of the Christmas tree to the U.S. How about Santa Claus. Jolly old St. Nick. St. Nicholas comes from a lot of different sources, actually. And actually, before even St. Nicholas, there was, um, they believed that the whole idea of who we celebrate as Santa Claus came from, uh, from hearth gods. Anybody heard of hearth gods before? In ancient Roman culture, they had house gods. And if you've ever uh, been, we've been to um, some ancient Roman cities, and they've found idols that were considered house gods that they would have around the house in different places that guarded or protected or provided you know, whatever you know, they, were, they believed you know, during that time. They believed that the whole idea of Santa Claus that it originally was derived from hearth gods. Most cultures had hearth gods in their history. And hearth gods sat on the, guess what, man, y'all are awesome, brilliant. Hearth gods sat on the hearth and they were believed to protect the hearth and the chimney And believed to keep the fires burning and believed to keep the house warm. And according to pagan tradition, get this, once a year in the winter, the hearth god would visit the home during the night. He would dress in red and come down the chimney, giving a blessing to those who had pleased him throughout the year. He could also command hexes and curses upon those who displeased him. Does that sound familiar at all? No, nothing. I get it. Another origin of Santa as we know him came from Scandinavia. any of you ever heard of the Scandinavian god Odin? He's the god of thunder. And it was believed that he was a big man with a flowing beard. And Odin was believed to travel the sky during the winter solstice, deciding who would live and who would die. In Britain, Odin became known as Father Christmas. And in British tradition, according to their tradition, around Christmas time, Father Christmas, he would travel around the country getting roaring drunk, celebrating with the people. And some paintings, you'll actually, there are actually paintings you can find of him drinking. And in some of the paintings you find of him, he's actually accompanied by a wild horned goat. I actually have one picture, uh, the first one, Saint, yeah, that one. The wild horned goat was believed when it came to the legends surrounding St. Nicholas to be the devil. Now, I'll tell you why in just a moment. And just leave that up there for just a moment. In Rome, uh, the story gets intertwined with the story of St. Nicholas. And we know that St. Nicholas was a wealthy Christian that lived in the 4th uh, century. And he is known for blessing the poor by throwing bags of money in their windows at night. And so over time, legends developed about Saint Nicholas, hundreds and hundreds of years later, more and more legends developed about him, and he ended up getting intertwined in, this, in all these other cultures and customs um, and stories. Uh, it, one of the things that they told about Saint Nicholas in Rome was that he at one point came face to face with the devil and defeated him and bound him in chains and made him his personal slave. And that is why the devil was represented as, um, as his wild goat. That, and many pictures, actually you can see at the bottom, you can see the chains on his feet uh, right there. So uh, you can go ahead and take that one down. So um, over time, the story was told that St. Nicholas would travel from home to home um, uh, during the winter solstice inquiring as to whether children had behaved that year. And while doing so, he and his wild goat, would stop and they would drop candies and treats into the shoes of good children. And if they, recited, if they were able to recite a scripture or perform a certain skill, they would receive a special gift from St. Nicholas. If they had been bad, they would receive, receive switches from the goat. You ever seen pictures of St. Nicholas with switches? I don't know if you have or not. Actually, I think I have one more picture that uh, might have a picture of the Switches. Yes, out the back, the backside. That's actually the goat, and Saint Nicholas is back behind him. And so, if the children had been especially bad, tradition says that he would put him in his bag and carry them off. Way to scare children into good behavior, I suppose. <laughs> you can go ahead and take that down. So, where did we end up getting Santa Claus? In 1822, it was an Episcopalian minister. Anybody heard of Clement Clark Moore? Clement Clark Moore wrote a story called A Visit from St. Nicholas. That story was later retitled. Anybody know what it's called? The Night Before Christmas. So this Episcopalian minister writes, "'Twas the night before Christmas and all through the house." Not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. He writes this story that we became known as the night before Christmas and it was originally, he just wrote it. It was actually originally written as a poem for his children, but somehow I don't know how it happened. Somehow it ended up getting published in the newspaper and it was an overnight success and it went all over the world and uh, just as this overnight sensation. The problem was St. Nicholas was no longer a saint. He had basically been stripped of all that in this story. He's now a jolly old elf and a jolly old elf with superpowers. And so it kind of changed the view of things. His, his, uh, goat, the shackled devil becomes reindeer and, um, the story gains all this popularity. And if you uh, look it up, actually later on, Moore actually refused to take credit for the story for, for a long time, uh, because he felt that the emphasis on this supernatural elf and his disregard in the story for Christ wouldn't be helpful to families. And if you look at it, it's kind of like he felt like he could balance it with his children. He could tell this, this poem, this story about St. Nicholas, Nicholas, but he could also balance it with Christ. But everybody's just getting the story about Santa Claus. So by 1880, sec- Santa Claus was a totally secular folk hero. And unfortunately, as we know many times today, you know, Jesus is displaced in, uh, in people's eyes by, by Santa Claus. And understand, too, that I'm, I'm not necessarily, you know, condemning Santa Claus at all, those who love to love and play Santa, and man, I love to watch the Tim Allen movie, I love uh, the Santa Claus and stuff, but how many of you know that Christmas should not be about Santa? And, uh, and when it comes to it, we should tell our children the truth about things, and we should tell them the truth about Jesus. So, um, so as I begin to wrap this up, should Christians celebrate Christmas? It's all wrapped in pagan tradition. My mom's holding her breath. Please say yes. Please say yes. Please say yes. <laughs> After all, it is rooted in pagan tradition. Guys, they're almost certain Jesus wasn't born in December. You know, one of the reasons they, they, they know it is because in December, it's cold in Israel. Shepherds didn't keep their flocks outside at night under the stars in December in Israel. Probably didn't happen then. Most agree that it was either July or September. Many believe that Jesus may have been born on the Feast of Tabernacles. Very interesting, if you remember the, as we talked about the Feast of Tabernacles back a number of weeks back. Anyway, um, guys, something isn't wrong today simply because it had negative origins. If we believe that, then we can't even say the names of the week. know that Thursday, Thursday is rooted from the name of a God. Sunday, actually, if you look at it, it was used in the worship of Apollo. Any of you ever driven a Saturn? (laughs) You certainly wouldn't watch an Avengers or DC Comics movie. Dr. Leon wouldn't be able to drink the Starbucks coffee he loves so much. We would never celebrate Christmas or Easter, never. We know many of these things, but how many of you would agree that it's not what it means to us today? Guys, when I celebrate Christmas, I'm not celebrating its origins. I'm not celebrating the origins surrounded around celebration of that specific day or that specific time. I'm celebrating the birth of my savior, okay? And I've heard people argue that too. Say, well, I don't believe in it because you shouldn't celebrate the birth of Jesus just once a year. We don't have evidence that anybody ever celebrated the birth of Jesus. But here's the thing, guys. I thank God every day for the birth of my children, but not specifically. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for their lives. But guess what? Once a year. We do have a day that we celebrate and we remember, we reflect, and we celebrate the day that they were born, right? right? And so that's okay. We're thankful anyhow. It doesn't mean that I'm not thankful every other 364 days out of the year just because we don't celebrate their birthday every single day. But regardless of where it started, our culture celebrates Christmas. And guys, this is a great opportunity, just like our children's birthdays. It's a great opportunity for us to stop and reflect and remember and to be thankful and even to be a witness to the saving grace of Jesus. It's been ingrained in our society and it's not going away. So we might as well embrace it and take advantage of it as believers. Guys, We don't celebrate because Scripture demands it. As we've said, Christmas, the celebration, the birth of Jesus is nowhere in Scripture. But we celebrate it with our culture, and we witness to the fact that Christmas is more than the baby born in a manger. Christmas is about God incarnate, coming as a man, born of a virgin, living a sinless life, and having this secret ambition to give his life for the sins of the world. Christmas is about the promised fulfillment of the coming Messiah. That's why we should celebrate as a Christian. Now, as I said before, you may feel different convictions. You may feel, you may feel convicted not to celebrate the commercialism of Christmas. Amen to that. Anybody else agree? I know Christians who don't even, that, that celebrate Christmas but don't exchange gifts. It's crossed my mind before. Save a lot of money. Oh, my wife says. (laughs) But sometimes we do focus too much on the gifts. Hey guys, you may choose. You may choose not to celebrate the commercialism of Christmas. You may choose not to exchange gifts. You may choose not to decorate in certain ways. But you can still take advantage of the opportunity to reflect and remember and to be thankful and to get realigned, realign your heart with the Lord. And take advantage of opportunities to talk to people about your faith. Guys, every year we have people that aren't yet believers living out in the world that are singing Christmas carols about Jesus. And it may be the only word that they ever hear or ever know. We might as well take advantage of it and give them the rest of the story. Anybody say amen. Amen. So after all that we talked about, is it okay to celebrate Christmas? Guys, I believe that it is. We got other things. I didn't mention the, uh, I didn't mention the Christmas tree. And the thing is, I've heard people use scripture to say that we shouldn't, we shouldn't have Christmas trees. People who are against it many times, they talk about the pagan history. And I've heard them use Jeremiah chapter 10 to say that Christians should stay away from Christmas trees. Guys, Jeremiah chapter 10 verses 1, Verse one, it says, Hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, learn not the ways of the nations. Um, Jump down to verse three. For the customs of the people are vanity. A tree from the forest is cut down and worked by an axe by the hands of a craftsman. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with a hammer with nails so it cannot move. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field. They cannot speak. Guys, there's no evidence they're talking about a Christmas tree right here. But people certainly use it to their advantage. Most theologians agree that they're talking about lifeless idols here. I don't know about you, but I don't worship my Christmas tree. You know what? It's beautiful. And it reminds me of Christmas's past and great times with friends and family. Reminds me of the birth of Jesus because that's what I've celebrated my whole life in this. But I don't worship it. It's not an idol to me. People say it's a, pagan, it's a pagan symbol. Not to me, it's not. Not in my house, it's not. It's not. The idea that somebody used it for immoral purposes in the past doesn't make it evil for us today. So guys, if the Christmas tree in your home, if it's become an idol and makes you want to worship nature, please throw it out. Okay? Please. Put it at the curb. If Christmas to you is not about the birth of Jesus, but you find yourself wanting to worship the sun god, then it's wrong and you don't need to celebrate Christmas. Okay? If you're like me, Christmas is the time for remembering Jesus, enjoying family, love, joy, peace, and even gift giving. We're not required to stay away from this holiday simply because at one time it had pagan connotations. In 1 Corinthians 10 and wrapping up 1 Corinthians 10, Paul makes this exact point. And he's talking about Christians eating meat that had been offered to pagan gods. And I'm just going to read you. It's just two verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 25 and 26. What does Paul say? He says, because they're, they're questioning Paul in this. He's answering their questions. He says, eat whatever is sold in the market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So Christians are saying, is it all right? All this meat's being sold in the market. And we were always told we're not supposed to eat this meat that was offered as sacrifice to, to pagan gods. And he says, actually, let me read it to you from the Message Bible. The Message Bible, it says, eat anything sold at the butcher shop. For instance, you don't have to run an idolatry test on every item. The earth, after all, is God's and everything in it. That... Everything certainly includes a leg of lamb at the butcher shop. If a non-believer invites you to dinner and you feel like going, go ahead and enjoy yourself. Eat everything placed before you. It would be both bad manners and bad spirituality to cross-examine your host on the ethical purity of each course as it's served. I think that's hilarious. And I'll read you this last part. On the other hand, if he goes out of your, his way to tell you that this or that was sacrificed to a God or God, a so-and-so, then you should pass. Because obviously it's an issue to this person. Either they take issue with it or they're doing it at, because it was sacrificed to their God or they're testing you to see whether or not you're leading. He's saying that's different. Just pass. Because even though you may be indifferent as to where it came from, he obviously isn't. And you don't want to send mixed symbols about who it is you're worshiping. Paul's saying it doesn't really matter what the meat was used for. I'm saying, guys, it doesn't really matter what the holiday was celebrated for way back when. For us as believers, I hope that you live in freedom, not in bondage. We live in grace, not under the law. And those pagan gods don't exist anyway. They're under our feet. The only exception I would make here, and go back to the... um, Go back to the English standard, the first one. only exception I'd make here is if you look at the end of verse 25, he says, on the ground of conscience, a ground of conscience. Guys, we would say today in good conscience. Some other versions actually say that. He's saying if you in good conscience can't eat the meat, then don't do it. As I've said all through this, if you can't in good conscience separate the pagan origins of Christmas from the holiday, then please don't celebrate it because that would be sin for you. But according to Paul and the Holy Spirit speaking through him, we do have the freedom. So celebrating Christmas is not a question of right or wrong, because Romans 14, verses 5 and 6 provide us the liberty to decide whether or not we should observe certain days. Verse 5, one person may esteem one day better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind, the one who observes the day observes it. In honor of the Lord. Guys, do you serve Christmas in honor of the Lord? If you do, then it can truly be one of the most wonderful times of the year to you. And I hope that you remember and you reflect on Jesus. And that you celebrate with friends and family. And that you tell all those around you the true reason for the season that you celebrate. Amen? If you celebrate... Celebrate as an honor and a worship to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Anybody learn anything today? Interesting? Yeah? Let's all stand up. Let me get the worship team to come up. Next week we're going to continue and we're going to talk next week about lessons from Christmas. What we can learn today. How it applies to our lives today. But first, let's all bow our heads together for just a moment. First, if you're here or you're watching online today and you don't know Jesus, this is the most important, most pivotal moment of your entire life. Guys, Jesus is the reason for the season. He's the reason for Christmas. But Christmas is not about the baby in the manger. Christmas is about the crucified Christ that baby who grew up with one primary plan in mind, to die for your sins. Yeah, he did a lot of other stuff, but it all culminated in that one moment. All of history past pointed to it and everything since then has pointed back to it. He willingly went to that cross so that you could be reunited with your Father, that you wouldn't have to live in sin and shame and guilt in this life. And after you take your last breath, you don't have to be separated from Him. You don't ever have to know what that's like. You don't ever have to know hell, but you can spend eternity in the presence of God. It's what you were created for with every head bowed, if that's you in this place, and you would say, I need Jesus today, I want you to lift your hands so I can see. Lift your hands so the Lord can see. Who would say, I need Jesus in this place today? Anybody else? I need Jesus. All right, you can put your hands down. I'm not gonna call you up right now, but I do wanna talk to you for just a moment after service. And I want you to come up to me. I want you to, if I don't know you, introduce yourself and, and let me talk to you for just a moment. But before we do that, we're going to pray together, right quick, and we're, we're all going to pray. And if you're watching online, you can pray too. It doesn't matter that you're not standing right here with us. You're here with us in spirit, and God is with you. Jesus is there. The Holy Spirit has invaded that place where you're sitting right now, and He can make all things new in your life. Let's pray together, Heavenly Father. I thank you for Jesus. I recognize that on my own, I am lost. I'm desperately lost. I'm lost in my sin and in my shame and I'm done. Jesus, I thank you for being born in that manger. I thank you for living a life that was sinless. I thank you for thinking of me. I thank you for going to the cross and willingly giving your life on my behalf. And I thank you, you didn't stay in that grave, but you were raised and you now sit beside the Father and I declare you Lord and you declare me innocent. You declare me free because today I put you on the pedestal of my heart. You are king of my heart. You're king of my life. I'll follow you to the end. Holy Spirit, fill me, empower me, be with me, that I can accomplish everything that you've called me to be and you've called me to do. I will walk with you all the days of my life and then for all eternity, in Jesus' name.